So let me ask you a question. Are you a good news person or a bad news person? You know, when somebody asks you the question, do you want the good news or the bad news? Which one do you prefer first? There are some people who are good news people. They want to hear the positive. They want to hear sort of like the hope, the promise as a way to brace themselves for the bad news. Now, bad news people, they want to hear the bad news first. They kind of want to get the lay of the land. They want to know what they're facing. And then they have the good news to anticipate. Now, I personally, I happen to be a bad news kind of person, meaning I want the bad news first. And I hate it. I hate it when the good news isn't nearly as good as I was expecting. <laughs> so in a crowd this size, there's, there's both good news people and there's bad news people. It reminds me of the defense attorney who had a client that had been accused of a very serious crime. And the defense attorney said to his client, do you want the good news or the bad news? The client says, uh, well, give me the bad news first, I guess. And he said, well, the bad news is that the blood test came back and it's confirmed that your DNA is all over the crime scene. The client's like, that's awful news. What's the good news? The good news is your blood test came back and your cholesterol's down to about 140. So today we're going to talk a little bit about good news and bad news. Which one do you want first? Good news? Somebody wants some bad news first. Well, here's what I'll do. I promise you we're going to get to both. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the bad news because it's really bad. And I'm going to tell you about the good news because it's great. But before we do that, I want to just kind of set the stage for you. Here at Cibolo Creek... We've been uh, exploring the idea of how to have a relationship with Jesus, which is a very unique discussion because how do you have a relationship with someone you can't see, somebody that you can't talk with, like, like we're accustomed to conversing with each other. How do you have a relationship with someone you can't call up on the phone and you know, ask them to let's go hang out and catch up with each other? Essentially what we're doing, what we're doing is how do you have a relationship between a human being and a divine being. And how do you have a relationship with Jesus? How do you understand a relationship with Jesus without it all just sounding a lot like, you know, the adult version of your imaginary friend? And one of the ways that we've been exploring this idea of a relationship with Jesus, we've been looking at encounters. People who had encounters with Jesus as we discover them in the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The four accounts of the life of Jesus. And either these people had a, an extended conversation with Jesus. Or they had some kind of a friendship. Some sort of an ongoing relationship with him. And we've been exploring um, you know, how, what we might learn about a relationship with Jesus through these encounters. And today we're going to look at one more encounter. And it's a very fitting encounter for the occasion that we're here to celebrate today. Now what's interesting about this encounter is that there's no evidence in the Gospels that Jesus and this particular individual ever met each other. There's no record in the Gospels that Jesus had any kind of a conversation with this man. And yet, it was a life-changing encounter. This 
this man's life would never be the same again. And so today we want to we want to explore the encounter that Jesus had with Barabbas. Now, um, we don't know a lot about Barabbas. Um, we don't we don't know his parents' names. We we don't know particularly where he was born. Uh, we don't know if he played soccer in high school. We don't know if he was single or married. What we do know is that um, the descriptions of Barabbas are very particular. And um, they have a story to tell. Now, Barabbas' story is told in all four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each declare some sort of a witness to this encounter that Jesus had with Barabbas. And like I said, they don't tell us a lot, but what they tell us is very interesting. Uh, Matthew will tell us, coming up here. Matthew would tell us that Barabbas was a notorious prisoner. Either he was a very well-known prisoner or he had done something to distinguish himself. Uh, Mark would tell us that he was imprisoned with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in a particular insurrection that occurred somewhere in Jerusalem at the time. Luke will tell us that Barabbas was one who had been thrown into prison for a certain insurrection made in the city and for murder. And then John has an interesting description of Barabbas. Barabbas was a robber. <laughs> you kind of think, well, what, what is he saying that just sounds so different from these. Well, this word robber, the Greek term is a special term. It has to do not with petty theft. It has to do with plundering. It has to do with actually being a part of a gang. It's being a part of like a group of marauders. Like Barabbas was involved in some, in creating a lot of chaos for Rome in the city of Jerusalem. So, Here's the description that we have of Barabbas. Barabbas was a criminal. He was a criminal. He was a robber. He was a murderer. He was an insurrectionist. Get the picture? So it's not hard to imagine. It's not hard to imagine that maybe like 2,000 years ago. A big beefy Roman prison guard. Got up from his desk early one morning, grabbed a big ring of keys, headed down a long corridor of prison cells until he came to the cell holding Barabbas. And maybe with a little bit of imagination, you might have heard, Barabbas, do you want the good news or the bad news? And let's just imagine that Barabbas is a bad news kind of person. And he said, okay, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news, Barabbas, is that today's your big day. You're going to be executed by crucifixion today. Now, Barabbas, if you don't know exactly what's in store for you, let me, let me just give you a little picture. You see, here in a few hours, some of my friends are going to come for you. They are a group of men with a very special set of skills. And they're going to bind your hands together and they're going to take you out back to the patio. And on the patio, there's a big stake driven into the ground. And we're going to tie you to that stake. 
And then my friends are going to absolutely pummel you. They're going to take big wooden sticks and they're going to hit you as hard as they can. They're going to hit you within an inch of your life. And then one of my friends, he's been licensed to do just this. He's going to pick up a whip and that whip has several strands of leather on it. And on each end of the leather is tied stones and broken bones and the teeth of creatures. And by Roman law, he's going to strike you 39 times. And I'll just tell you, Barabbas, by the time he's done, you will be absolutely filleted alive down to the bones of your back. But Barabbas, we're not even, we're not even finished with you yet. Then those guys are going to release you from that pole. And they're going to parade you down through the streets of Jerusalem. There's going to be people lining both sides of the street. And they're going to punch you and kick you and yell and scream at you. They're going to reach out. And they're going to pull out big chunks of hair out of your beard and your head. And then eventually, Barabbas, we're going to end up down in the dump. The place where the city of Jerusalem brings its trash. And there's going to be three crosses lying on the ground. And one of them was built just for you, Barabbas. And we're going to lay you down on that, that cross. Yeah, on your back. And we're going to spread your arms apart. And we're going to drive stakes through your hands. And then we're going to cross your feet over top of each other. And we're going to drive a stake down through the tops of both feet. And then we're going to pick that cross up. And there's going to be a big hole right in front of it. And it's lined with stone. And we're going to pick that cross up and we're going to drop it in. And when that cross hits the bottom of that hole, every joint in your body will become dislocated. Tendons will tear. Ligaments will rip. And Barabbas, you're going to just hang there for as long as it takes all day. Trying to hold yourself up to take your next breath. Now, Bravis, we're not without mercy. You see, if it goes on too long and it gets really late at night, if it gets really late at night and we're ready to go home, we're going to take a big wooden club and we're going to smash your legs and break them. And you're going to fall. And your rib cage is going to plunge into your lungs and you're going to suffocate to death. Today's your big day, Bravis. And maybe Barabbas, trying to be macho and act unfazed, he might say, well, Ben, please tell me, what's the good news? Well, the good news, Barabbas, is the good news is that Rome has a custom. Ever since we conquered the people of Israel, we've developed this custom that every time Israel gathers in Jerusalem for the Passover, we release one prisoner. It's just a way to sort of ingratiate ourselves, to sort of ease some of the tensions and keep the peace. We are going to release one prisoner. And you're not going to believe this, Barabbas, but your name has come up. You're one of the people that we're considering to release. We read about it in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd 
At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Barabbas. And so when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Just sure that they would want the other guy? Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who you like to refer to as your Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. He knew that Jesus wasn't guilty of any crimes. Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. And they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, things were getting out of control, and he couldn't afford that on such a big weekend in Jerusalem. He, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. And he announced, I am innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility what you're about to do. And all the people answered, his blood is on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged. And he handed him over to be crucified. You get the picture? So, so here's what we have. We have Barabbas, and Barabbas is a criminal He's been found guilty by the courts of law in Rome. Jesus, Jesus is completely innocent. He's never committed a crime. He's never done anything wrong. His entire life is one of love and compassion and humility. He spent his life serving people. Barabbas is set free. And Jesus is crucified. Now, if there's anything that's true about me, I have a very keen curiosity and a vivid imagination. And sometimes that's an asset and sometimes that's a liability. But when I read about this account in the Gospels, I, I, I've often wondered, whatever became of Barabbas? Because unfortunately, there's no more information about him recorded in the Gospels. I mean, did he stick around that day to watch the crucifixion to kind of see who the unlucky candidate was that died in his place? Or did he decide, you know what, Rome's kind of worked up right now. Maybe I'll just lie low. Did he run off to join up with his insurrectionist friend and start planning the next plot to overthrow the Roman government? Or, or, did, or did Barabbas get scared straight? He was hours away from being crucified by the Romans. And maybe he decided, you know what? I'm done with the life of crime. I'm just going to find a good woman. And I'm going to settle down. I'm going to become an honest man. I'm going to just work for a living like everybody else. I'm just going to kind of lay low. We don't know. I've often wondered, did, did Barabbas ever wake up in the middle of the night haunted by his conscience, knowing what had happened, that he had 
killed some people, that he had committed the crime of insurrection, and a completely innocent man ended up going to the cross that had his name on it. Did it ever bother him? We don't know. We don't know if he ever felt any of that. But you have to imagine that he thought about it from time to time. It's possible even that maybe at some point in his life he, he became a believer in Jesus. We don't know. We don't know. But the last photograph that we have of Barabbas is this. Jesus died in Barabbas' place. The innocent for the guilty. Do you remember I told you that we don't know a lot about Barabbas from the accounts of the Gospels. We don't know where he was born or what his parents' names were, but we do know his name. His name is Barabbas. But do you know what Barabbas means? Barabbas means son of a father, which I guess amongst the option, that's the better of the two. Some of you will get that in a minute. <laughs> son of a father. And we look at that and we think, well, see, someone just got it. Um, <laughs> your wife had to tell you, didn't she? Son of a father. We look at that and we think, well, wait a second. That's all of us. All of us are the son or the daughter of a father. All of us are the child of a father. So maybe, just maybe, in some very poetic sense, what the scriptures are portraying is that we are Barabbas. And Barabbas is us. That this story about Jesus and giving his life in place of Barabbas is about all of us. So I ask you the question, do you want the good news or do you want the bad news? Well, let's begin with the bad news. The bad news is that sinners, sinners stand condemned for having broken the laws of a holy and righteous God. Now, I said sinners, I'm not talking about anybody here other than me, because I'm a sinner. You see, the word sin, one of the words translated sin actually comes from the legal system. It means to be a lawbreaker. It means to be a criminal. So the Bible wants us to understand that sinners stand condemned, like Barabbas, stand condemned for having broken the laws of a holy and righteous God. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3. There, there's no difference. I don't care who you are. Between Jew or Gentile. For all have sinned. And all have come up short. All fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God. That's the standard. And. This verse is telling us that all of us have come short of the standard. So imagine that you and I are standing on the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And if we look closely, we can look across and we can see the south rim in the distance. Just barely. 
and we're going to have a rock throwing contest. And we're going to see who can throw a rock to the opposite side of the Grand Canyon because that's the standard. It has to reach the other side to be successful. And we can invite some people. We could invite a major league baseball player who has the best arm in the entire league. Strongest person that we know. We could all line up with our rocks and we could all give our very best. And guess what? Every single one of us are going to come up short. It doesn't matter how far you throw it. It doesn't matter how good you are at throwing. We're all going to come up short. You know, I've been a pastor now for 35 years. I've talked to a lot of people about faith. And I'm always, I'm always intrigued that so many people have it in their mind that somehow the standard is is good. People say to me all the time, Paul, I'm a good person. Paul, I, I do a lot of good things. Paul, I, nobody's perfect, but I, I'm, I'm positive the, the good in my life outweighs my bad. Like good is the standard, but you know what? Good has never been the standard. Good is not the standard. Do you know what the standard is? The standard is, you ready? Perfection. Because God is perfect. That's his glory. Jesus, when he finishes the famous Sermon on the Mount, these are his closing words. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the standard. I meet a lot of people and they say, you know what, Paul, I, here's what I do. I, I'm just trying my best, trying to be as good as I can, and I, I try to live by the Ten Commandments. Really? Did you know that the standard is perfection and you have to keep the Ten Commandments perfectly your entire life? No little white lie. No borrowing something that doesn't belong to you. No gossip about somebody that you don't really like. No gluttony. James tells us this. If, if, you really, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, and the royal law is love your neighbor as yourself, you're, you're doing right. You're on a good path. Look at this. If you show favoritism, if you show like just one person, just a little bit more preference than might, you might show somebody else. If you show favoritism, you break the law. You're convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law, all ten of the commandments, and yet stumbles at just one of them, is guilty of breaking all of it. Most of us, we think of sin as like those overt acts, like murder and rape, genocide, the big stuff. And we never stop to truly understand what the Bible is telling us about the nature of sin. And, and Jesus lets us know that sin is not always an act. Sometimes it's an attitude. Sometimes it's a motive. Sometimes it's the intentions that people never see. 
Jesus once thought, he said, your rabbis have been telling you for centuries, thou, thou shall not commit murder. And people stepped back and they said, see, yeah, I'm a good person. I've never committed murder. But Jesus said, I tell you, here's what I'm telling you, is if you get angry, it's to kill. Jesus said, your, your rabbis have been telling you thou shalt not commit adultery. And people step back and they go, see, I'm a good person. I've never done that. And Jesus said, but if a man looks at a woman with lust in his heart, he's guilty of adultery. If a woman fantasizes about sexual intimacy with a man she's not married to, she's guilty of adultery. Because the standard is perfect. And most of us go, well, that's impossible. Nobody's perfect. Nobody can do that. Nobody can live like that, right? Right? When you start feeling that, when you start sensing that, when you start understanding your place in that, then suddenly I got some good news for you. Because good news is always better against the backdrop of bad news. And the the good news, the good news is, Sinners are set free through faith, trust in Jesus who died in their place. That's the message of the scriptures. That sinners like Barabbas can be set free because Jesus went to the cross in his place. And you and I, just like Barabbas, we're sinners, we're guilty, we stand condemned. But Christ died in our place. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Romans chapter 8. Therefore, and then the first seven chapters of the book, he's talking about the sacrifice of Jesus in our place. He says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are where they're in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, he says, in Christ we have redemption. The price was paid to buy us out of slavery. We have redemption through his what? His blood. The forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavishes on us. That's the good news. So there's this word that Christians use a lot. Churches use it a lot, a lot. But we don't really actually understand what it means. We just sort of feign familiarity with it. We just sort of deduce from the context of the conversation. Oh, I I think that's what they must mean about that. It's the word gospel. Do you know what the word gospel literally means? It means good news. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death on behalf of us as sinners, his resurrection to offer us the forgiveness of sin, the gift of salvation, the hope of eternal life, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news to human beings who stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. When we get that, we understand that God so loved you and me, so loved the world that he offered his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever would place their trust in Jesus shall not perish, 
but they have eternal life. That's why Easter is such a wonderful occasion and celebration amongst Christians. It's because we understand our place in the story of the gospel. Christians are simply people who've come to recognize, wait a second, I'm the sinner. I stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. I have no hope. But Jesus died for me. Jesus gave his life for me. And through my trust in Jesus, I can be saved, rescued. I, 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 can, I can have my sins forgiven. I can be restored to a relationship with God as my heavenly father. And I, I can know beyond the shadow of a doubt that I'll spend eternity in heaven. Easter is the celebration of being set free from the sin and the condemnation that we deserve. When Jesus rose from the dead three days after his crucifixion, he rose with the authority to say, I have the authority, I have the credentials to be able to offer human beings forgiveness. I conquered death so I can provide salvation. I came back to life to demonstrate that I can extend eternal life to whoever will trust me. So I conclude with the same question that we began with. Are you a good news person or a bad news person? Like, how do you see yourself? How do you think God sees you? Have you come to the conclusion that Jesus, oh, that's just myth. That's just, that's just legend. That's just religious conspiracy to sort of keep me, you know, occupied and try to behave myself, I, I don't buy any of that, then you need to understand that, that you're a bad news person. Without the help of Jesus, you stand condemned before a holy and righteous God. Or do you see yourself as a good news person? You found yourself in the story of the gospel and it wasn't just about Barabbas anymore, it was about you. You were the sinner that Christ died for and you accepted the provision of Jesus in his death on your behalf and you celebrate this Easter Sunday that you have been forgiven. You have been saved and you have the hope of eternal life. The choice, it's all up to you. You get to decide if you find yourself in the story of the good news of the gospel or if you refuse it. My advice to you is make a good choice. Make sense? Let me ask you to bow your head. Let me pray for you. Our Father in heaven, thank you Thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. His death on our behalf, his willingness to go to the cross and shed his blood to empty himself of life so that we could be forgiven. So that your righteous demands could be met and we could be offered salvation. 
God, I pray that you'll open our eyes and our ears. You'll open our hearts to understand the offer of the good news of Jesus Christ against the backdrop of the bad news of the truth about our own sin. I pray, Father, this Easter Sunday, we'll celebrate the fact that we are found in the good news, the good news of Jesus, our Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Dawns in Galilee. Some say madman, some say king. Wonder working rebel priest. Jesus Christ the Nazarene. Some say new would have to take.
heaven sings to him alone we watch and wait like a bride for a groom oh church arise and he's coming soon We're so happy you joined us this morning. Happy Easter to you all. We have a very special treat for you guys out in the lobby. We have a photo booth set up, and I hope you have a great rest of your Easter Sunday. We'll see you next week.